I'm not singing the same song again. <laughs> Damn <Yeah>. it. <laughs> what the truck? I know. Fine, fine. Your audio is fine. Hello, Timo. You had a Russian sound engineer? Did you say? Because <laughs> I have a check one, two. I have a check <laughs> one, two. Oh, my God. We had Johnny last time kicking out the dad jokes, and here's Timo to up the game. I've not even been a dad. That's Bringing in the international dad, dad jokes, too. Awful. Awful. I don't know why <laughs> I had that. Simply awful. Uh, let's do the drop. This is the Still Talking Podcast, our reverent distilling industry podcast with Colton Zeno and myself, Brian. Colton Zeno aren't here because, well, they don't need to be here because we have guests that are amazing. Like Reed. Hi, Reed. I said hi to you already and you refuse to sing, but that's okay because I'm just going to drop the audio from you singing last time into every podcast moving forward. You're cool with that, right? Please no. Here, I'm just going to crack up here. That could be my audio. There we go. Uh, and we have special guest Timo Marshall. Timo Marshall is co-founder of Spiritworks Distillery, semi-professional Dungeons and Dragons dice maker, keeper of his family's historic slow gin recipe, Greenpeace veteran, submarine and blimp pirate, and all-around magnificent human. Hi, Timo. Oh, no, that was lovely. That was so nice. I'm glad this is getting recorded because I'm going to have to write that all down at some point for my future introductions. That's a great one. Oh, yeah. I will just go ahead and cut the audio out for you, send it to you, and that's yours forever. Yeah, lovely. That was perfect. <laughs> uh, well, Timo, uh, like, oh my God, uh, I have like all the questions and things I want to talk to you about, um, but I'm mm-hmm. actually just going to jump in because you you had mentioned something that I've always found interesting about the spirits judging competitions. Um, we were mentioning that you got you get hit up a lot to enter products into spirits competitions, and you had a good point that there's like it's hard to rationalize sending products to a competition that isn't regional or won't get you maybe some notoriety in your area. Like how do you, how do you kind of wrestle with that? How do you measure what is a spirits competition to put money in? Well, um, honestly, like depend, depending how many SKUs you have and how relevant you want to stay, there's always, it's always nice to have a shiny new thing. Right. But um, I think that if, if spirit competitions and medals translated into sales, <laughs> we'd all be a lot more excited about them. But uh, but really, they don't, right? Like even even when you're like even when you win something that's like best in show or something like that, and you know whatever whatever the level might be, uh, even if the spirits competition puts you in touch with local larger. Uh, like a chain of retailers or something like that, which has happened to us in the past, it still doesn't translate to sales necessarily in that way. And so um, at some point you sit back after years of having flatteringly won a bunch of medals and uh, different awards from different, uh, different spirit competitions and look back at it and you're like, well, what has this translated to? What's the ROI on this? What's the, what, what is the return on our investment of entering all these competitions? And it, I think for some people, it's important to be drinking a spirit that has won a gold medal somewhere, you know, but right. they're not really that interested in where, when, or how to a certain extent. And so for us, unless the, unless the competition now, most of our products now have pretty decent array of medals, each one of them. And so for us really, unless it's a lot more local to our market, 
to our main market, then and it's it's not really going to be that relevant to us anymore, unfortunately. And spirit competitions are pretty expensive. <laughs> I'm just going to put yeah. it out there. Well, and, because you have to send uh, so, a product, you have to pay to ship it, and you have to pay the entry fee, right? Yeah, it's, I mean, the shipping is just one thing, but like entry fees are just crazy. And, you know, when you have a bunch of different things, so we pick and choose what, you know, what hasn't won a medal for a couple of three years, and we send that one in. And um, and we pick so and choose kind of, our battles. Is it kind of fair to say, like, in some ways you look at it as an initial investment into competitions to get some awards, and then you can say, hey, this is an award-winning product. And then after that, you kind of have that investment and you're done. Or you're like you said, you kind of re-up it every once in a while. Yeah, you're never really done. You always want to re-up it, right? And it depends who's doing your marketing at the time or if you are whatever. You kind of like every now and again, you if you find you're dusting the medals too often, you're like, oh, it's time for a new one. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, and then sometimes – Sometimes you enter competitions, you don't win anything, right, Reed? What's that like? Oh, whoa. These <laughs> <laughs> shots fired. I have won. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that was too easy. Um, He's still got his you know, Kiwanis you know, Club Regional Membership Award from 1997. Yeah. Leave you, know what, you know what makes this this whole conversation the better is that I realize I look down and I'm wearing a shirt from a, a Turkey Day trot that I did when I was like 17. <laughs> and that win has gotten him to this point. I mean, that's what's got me going. That that high that I got then just <laughs> – I mean, we've all wondered what Maya, Maya sees in you, right? And it's got to be at least the turkey trot. It's got to be one of your wins, right? Oh, man. What was it? Uh, also, not... was that just a participation T-shirt? Just let me just – you can spill the beans. Was it just oh, participation? It's a participation T-shirt. It's, uh, I think it... – <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm being completely honest, I might not have run this thing. I might have just helped out. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Okay, Reed, um, uh, I, okay. I've got an idea. You're you're gonna love it. I think we should make uh, merch uh, shirts for the Society of Spirit and sell that exact shirt you just described. Now, granted, it will flood the market and completely make your award r- irrelevant. But I think we're gonna sell a lot of shirts. I mean, more irrelevant than it already ha- is. <laughs> I I don't know if that was. <laughs> it is now because Timo's gonna buy at least a dozen. Oh God. I definitely am that, and the fact that I have no idea what a turkey trot is—it just sounds—it just sounds not right. So I'll have three of them at least. Thanksgiving Day, no. you, after you eat all your turkey and stuff, you go on your five k, but you can't run. What are you, you talking turkey. about? Uh, this is a very American tradition. This is a Timo. cultural. This is a cultural difference, Timo. I, I'm sorry. I sh- this I sh- is a very American thing, and you're just really showing that you haven't quite integrated to American culture just yet. I'm- I'm glad I'm I'm glad I'm learning all this. This didn't come up in my uh in my citizen test, I gotta say. So like uh well, they weren't know, like so tell me so tell me, Timo, what is a uh describe a turkey trot and the last time you went to one. I'm like, what? It literally sounds like something dodgy that you would pick up after eating a dodgy meal. Well, okay. I, I do have a semi-serious question back to awards and then I'll move on. Do you, Have you found, Timo, that there is a difference in where the awards come from when it comes to getting um, actual positive reactions from, say, customers versus distributors? Like, do they care at all? Is is there ever a benefit to different kinds of awards in either arena? There's always some, there are always some folk out there that are, that 
geek out a little bit on it, but those people are literally 1% of the population. Everyone else is, they just, they hear award, they hear like gold medal, and that's kind of where they stop listening, you know? So, that makes sense. Uh, but yeah, so, I mean, it does matter in some ways, right? I'm, I once met someone that, this is right at the beginning when I had, when I was, we didn't have a distillery built yet. There was, I met someone that shall remain nameless, but it was, we referred to him as the master still master. And he had a product <laughs> that had won the, uh, he, he had a product that had won double platinum something or other at like the Northwest something spirits competition. And, uh, and come to find that I was impressed, you know, double platinum. And uh, come to find that he had set up the competition himself and uh, his was the only product. So, like, he was doing yes. well on his marketing, on his marketing I mean, process. Wow. And, like, no, I wasn't going to question it until I questioned it. And so, yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I totally, I, I for sure thought you were just going to talk about, like, it was some weird state regional thing that, like, there was two people involved. No. But the fact that it was this his was, own, that is high-level, yeah, like, story. shady marketing. That's awesome. True story, bro. That's pretty good. Okay, okay. Uh, anyway, let's actually I talk. Love, I, I want to know a little bit more about Spearworks because you started it with your oh. lovely, amazing, spectacularly talented wife, Ashby, correct? Yeah, um, I think most of the point, she started it with me, right? Like, So she's head distiller and uh, has been running the show uh, since, uh, well, actually, since I met her, since before we had a distillery. So um, she's been in charge, really, a bit like Maya in. Uh, and read and so uh so we decided you know in, in uh back in the day that we wanted to do something uh other than work in environmental nonprofits uh as we were doing in san francisco and so we um uh, we're looking for something right? to do out here and uh we did meet at greenpeace yeah i tend to refer to it as environmental nonprofit or something uh, to keep it kind of, i can to totally cut that if you want neutral, to but <laughs> But no, let's just go there. Yeah, we were both working for uh, Greenpeace and uh, and doing our doing our bit that we could back in the day. And we thought, um, you know, this is this is fun, but um, let's do something uh, let's do something slightly different and a bit more interesting in in what we want to do for the long term. And so, uh, building a distillery seemed like. I mean, we were drinking enough gin at the time and whiskey, and so we were like, well, let's might as well start making our own at some point and that's how spirit works kind of came about the story's a little bit more nuanced than that but uh, <laughs> but yeah that's how it started and so we found this uh location here in sebastopol sebastopol is a beautiful town an hour north of san francisco love it here love the people love the uh the area itself is just it's just lovely and uh and works really well for uh for ashley and myself and so we built a distillery out here and we've been here now 11 coming on 11 years so holy shit um yeah yeah sometimes i'm like what the fuck uh it's just uh it's uh have to pinch myself sometimes uh with where we're at but um but yeah it's uh we've been doing really well it's uh we we weren't the first people in the craft spirits movement here in california by any stretch of the imagination but Definitely within this larger wave, we were early on, early adopters of the process, so to speak. And um, we've been we've been really lucky with how we've been received, both uh, uh, in market and within the industry itself as well. We've been fairly involved, and so um, we have garnered a pretty flattering reputation. And and we're 
pushing through, see what happens. Um, but yeah, we we're still fairly small, and we're known for our slow gin and our whiskies, I guess, and uh, those seem to be the ones that garner most attention. But um, I'm sitting here sipping a new product that is uh, going out of our tasting room in the next uh, month or so, which Ashby's been working on. She's made a slow Amaro, and uh, it's, uh, it sits very nicely in this Negroni that I'm sipping on. So, yeah, it, it keeps us keeps us uh, busy and in trouble. And, yeah, I'm loving it. I love it. I mean, running a business with your partner, with your life partner, is uh, is so rewarding in so many ways. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, that's what. I, did you see, I, yeah, I thought you were. Did going you see somewhere. where I went? <laughs> <laughs> you fucker! You totally threw me under the bus. I mean, it's great. It's rewarding every single day. <laughs> oh, Amanda, I miss you, Amanda. <laughs> uh, I couldn't do any of this without Amanda. No, I I agree. But is it's like you guys do get to build something together. But I imagine, yeah, there's there's ups and downs, right? Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, it's, it's definitely got to work at it, and uh, <clears throat> and um, you know, you have to be very, you have to be a good listener. I've learned that. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, but um, it's it's hugely rewarding and massively supportive, right? Uh, like if if ever I get overwhelmed by anything, then I, I know that Ashby's my rock and. And likewise, and we complement each other. So she's she's very uh, she's very creative and uh, and bohemian in her in her approach to work. And I'm I'm kind of believe it or not, I know you don't know this with me, but I'm quite systems based and like I like my attention to detail. So, <laughs> God um, forbid anyone fucks up your calendar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing, right? And so we complement each other pretty pretty well in that way. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think uh, I think most uh, most small businesses, are, are, you know, obviously are going to uh, are going to um, g- gain a lot from having uh, having a couple of folks that bounce off each other uh, near the top, and so uh, who are, you know driving the ship, and and I'm, I feel very lucky to be in that situation doing this with Ashby. She's amazing. Are you pretty much hands off on most of the production? I mean, you have some input on like recipes and stuff with the slow gin, which is a family recipe, right? But otherwise, are you? Is it kind of that's her domain? Yeah, very much so. Uh, well, I mean, not totally hands off. I get quite involved with mechanical sides of pro- side of production. So, like uh, uh, a lot of like I, I get involved a little bit in the maintenance process. Um, I'm all I. I, I, I I have opinions about everything, obviously. <laughs> so, like, I do get involved with tasting new products as they're coming down the line and, and suggesting what I would do in various things. And then Ashby dutifully ignores those things and does her own thing. So, um, <laughs> uh, it's, uh, I, I, I am allowed there. Every now and again, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll put my foot down and, and, uh, and if there's, if there's a little gap in the, uh, production schedule and maybe there's still is quiet for a day or two, I'll, uh, I'll ask to make a little run of something, maybe an old Tom or some, some interesting ex- experimental gin or something like that. Um, with the fact that we can sell product out of the tasting room uh, at the distillery means that we can do small runs of things that I can do small runs of things like that and sell them direct to consumer uh, out of the tasting room. And that uh, allows us to be quite creative and quite crafty. You know, like this, this Amaro, 
Uh, this slow Amara is a perfect example of that. Actually, we've been working on this for a while, and um, you know, she can just put this together, and we can put it out of the tasting room instead of having to try and push it through distribution uh, through our distribution network. So, yeah, I'm allowed at the still occasionally. Not, it's okay. not very often, okay. but well, that's good because. I mean, I will sit here and pepper you with business and procedural questions all day, but this is technically a distilling podcast too. So that's why thankfully Reed is here. Reed, I want you to ask Timo some of your like deep-seated, super curious production questions so that listener can get some distillation out of this besides me just nerding out about, you know, family histories and stuff. Wow. Production question. Yeah, on the spot, Reed. On the spot. Yeah. Just your questions. And, and I want listener to, to understand that I invited Reed to jump on and fill uh, fill a gap here uh, for Colton and Zeno basically about an hour ago. So he had no prep time. So I'm definitely throwing him under the bus. And I've asked oh, him Oh, there sing. was meant to be prep time? What? Oh, I, I totally prepped the shit out of this, but I didn't give Reed any. <laughs> um, Reed, so I'll... So I'll just jump in here while Reed flounders a little bit, which is our normal MO. I think we're, <laughs> I think we're hanging out on Sunday anyway. But I got to say that um, the 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 craft distilling community is vast now, but the um, there is there is a core uh, there is a core group of um, of distillers that uh, and people with knowledge, with the knowledge that I reach out to if I'm ever stuck or I have questions or I want to learn more about what I'm doing or um, if there are some areas of production that I might, um, I might be missing in my skill set, And Reed is definitely in my speed dial for that process. I've got to say that I, uh, any question that Reed is about to ask me now, we've probably already had conversations <laughs> about over the phone uh, ad nauseum at times, or he's shared uh, papers with me over time as well. And so, um, yeah, there's not much that we've covered in that way. I, I've got to say, I'm very grateful to have um, collegial, a collegial distilling community like that that I can reach out to. And uh, congratulations on uh, the building of this new uh, Discord channel. You know, I'm a newbie at Discord, never heard of it before. So, <laughs> despite the was, fact we've been using all... it for like three years for Dungeons and Distillers, yeah, I was gonna say. Oh. <laughs> Oh, thank God you brought it up because I, what, that's all I want to talk about, really. I can't wait till Sunday, and it just seems so far away. Right oh, my God. Okay, okay. This is great because Colton – so I was texting with Colton when he said he couldn't make it, and Colton, after I told him that Reed was going to jump in and help, there was a long pause, and then Colton just texted, you guys are going to fucking talk about D&D, aren't you? <laughs> I didn't have the heart to respond back. I, I told myself that I wouldn't mention it until one of you guys did so i'm glad that you brought it up that's just uh, that's just what i'm gonna do while we're talking about it i'm gonna just roll a 12 <laughs> <laughs> okay listener spoiler uh reed team and i along with multiple other distillers which you've heard about before are in this group called dungeons dungeons and distillers we've been doing it for over three years now we're in our second campaign um and it is one of the highlights of our life so um yes being there so I, while Timo has learned more about D&D and become ever more obsessed to the point where, as I mentioned in his intro, he makes his own hand bespoke D&D dice. Uh, you are an inspiration to all of us, um, So obviously, Timo, you have this beautiful slow gin that we all love. And 
this is a question that got brought up to me recently, and I figured I'd uh, bring it up to you. Have you guys seen issues with like uh, oxygen pickup on that slow gin, making dulling the flavor over time? Slash, do you see a lot of flavor drift uh, between batches? So, in the UK, I older slow gin is prized over fresher slow gin. And so when I talk about older slow gin, most, most slow gin that is like pulled out and served at the table has been around for at least a year in bottle or longer. And um, most of the time it's been opened at some point as well. And then, and is served and poured over time, right? The idea is to try not to finish it all in one sitting. And uh, oxidation tends to happen quite noticeably or i've found that oxidation seems to happen quite noticeably in traditionally made slow gin and you're absolutely right like loses its vibrancy of color a little bit it starts to brown a little bit and uh the flavor profile that it tends to pick up is quite um is quite uh sherry like in in its uh in 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 the the notes that it's picking up um and i think that uh I think that our slow gin, we do notice that there is a difference over t- over time, but what that time is is hard for us to decide because we've never really had a bottle that long <laughs> long enough on the shelf. Are we quite honest? We tend to, as someone, as some bright spark said, always be depleting, and so um, uh, there's definitely there's definitely a difference in flavor from one batch to the other because it, everything is uh, you know produ- everything is batch by batch. And uh, when you are producing things batch by batch, it could the changes are uh, tiny, but uh, if you have the right uh, palate, you can notice very tiny differences. As long as the uh, as long as the flavor profile falls within the same house, though, the same brand, then it works well for us. Um, the answer is yes. There is some flavor drift. Uh, how much? Very little. And I'm sticking with it. Cool. Is that good? <laughs> I love it. That was a really so good any, question to answer, guys. That was like super pro. Anytime, anytime you're doing anything that is batch by batch, it's going to be slightly different, right? It's like going. It's like when we walk into our barrel room and we're going to taste straight from the barrel. We could have like a whole series of uh, of uh, wheat whiskey or bourbons or something that were produced in one particular season or something like that. But from barrel to barrel, it's going to taste slightly different because. As uh, someone else smarter than I, than myself once said, it when we were touring a rickhouse, they said, you know, every barrel is like a snowflake, and so it's like it, it might it might look similar, but ultimately it's going to have those slight differences, which will affect the flavor profile. And um, and it's the same with any time you're using raw materials in a batch process, unless you're back blending or something like that, there will always be a slight drift, and so we celebrate that. If you pick up a bottle of our slow gin uh, in market or anywhere or have a batch number written on it, and so you know what what particular uh, batch that went through, um, and you can compare it to other bottles if you really want to, but we try and celebrate the fact that it is going to have slight difference from batch to batch. Same with our whiskeys, same with our gin. Yeah, yeah it's important. Okay. And also, where, like even with our gins, where we get our botanicals from, there are times when our supplier might not have the right botanicals or they might come from a different, their suppliers might uh, have changed over the last year or something. And so 
we have to adapt and change according to the raw materials that we get in hand. Um, and again, we make it batch by batch, right? So, you know, we try and celebrate those differences. Did you, uh, do you have what any you? sort of, uh, do you have any sort of intake uh, requirements for new botanicals? Well, uh, yeah, I wouldn't say they are, str- I, don't, I wouldn't say that we have an SOP for intake of botanicals, but definitely like it's a cursory inspection. And um, if, uh, if we notice anything that we would, you know, when we're normally looking at things that come in, be that grain or, I mean, grain in particular, right? But uh, botanicals in general as well, you know, opening up the packets, smelling the, the botanicals that are in there and touching them and feeling them and making sure that it's what we're used to, uh, maybe comparing them to what's left over from the previous uh, previous batch as we are replacing it. Um, yeah, we do that. I wouldn't say that we have a strict SOP to do that process not like we have that we have things lab tested or anything like that it's much more of a um it's much more of a uh intuitive feel for what the botanicals are like and honestly this is where the skill set of the distiller comes in right and so like um ashby will know straight away if the juniper that she's using is a different batch than the juniper that she got before for example if there's like stronger differences in in its flavor profile or not she'll know before it goes into the still uh, uh, she'll notice those differences. And so, again, that's the skill set of the distiller. But, yeah, to answer your question, no, we don't have a strict protocol for that. Cool. Cool. Okay. That was fantastic. <laughs> cool. uh, I'm going to be honest. Uh, we're at a tight 30 right now, and I want to fucking get off this distilling stuff so we can talk more about D&D. Um, so with that, I'm going to go ahead and take Zeno's role. I'm going to grunt us out with final thoughts. Ugh, final thoughts. Um, what is your favorite moment or memory from playing Dungeons, specifically Dungeons and Distillers? What is my favorite memory? Well... In the name of Goddess Salacia, the great mother to all creatures of the seas, including sailors and parrots, ruler of all kingdoms from her salty throne in the deep, also known by her landlubber's name in the north as Lightbringer, the mermaid of knowledge and keeper of secrets, and in the south simply as Narwhal, called by all dolphins as Queen Click and by all seagulls as Quaka. I, Tali Holsworth, here declare this to be my favorite moment in Dungeons and Distillers. <laughs> You're welcome. That was so good. Oh, <laughs> that was really, really, really good. Okay, uh, Reed, top that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's going to mean absolutely nothing to everyone else, but I think you two will get a kick out of it. Uh, when Dirge rolled that beautiful, beautiful roll to win the Dragon Chess game against... Uh, <laughs> that was the moment that Jake Holshue personally and in the game like started hating you with all of his vim and vigor. Yeah. You will, he, he will never be forgiven. Never. I ever. mean, it's just because you had to make out, right? Yeah. <laughs> D&D secrets. <laughs> oh, shit. I, I wasn't meant to say that out loud. Anyway, no, I remember no. it well. Okay, okay. My favorite, and I'll keep it quick, is actually one of you uh, tied to your character, Timo, uh, Tally Hallsworth. Um, you had spent like two years taking your character as a pirate and building a 
buried treasure map where you had been getting your loot and your gold and all these gems you've been finding and burying them around the world as we've been playing. <laughs> you kept a detailed personal real world map. And then at some point, my character fucked up the entire timeline, sent us back into the past and erased all the history that we'd been through so that your entire map and treasures disappeared from the timeline. I will never forget that moment. Sincerely apologize. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was bad that was a bad moment <laughs> yeah. the moment of realization when i had to go into my aunt's shed and dig a hole and figure out that there was like nothing there yeah, yeah uh, that was hilarious i love you guys love hilarious. you dummies <laughs>